This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there. And a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Today is that special day of the year where, if we are lucky, we get to come together with family to enjoy a meal and spend some time talking and laughing and sharing memories. Today's show is about family bonds and the lengths families will go to find lost loved ones. It's also about a very special lady named Kathy Tarr who is helping these families. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Every year, thousands of hikers and bird watchers get lost in the woods. Some make it out on their own, and others require search and rescue teams to find them. And then there are those who are not found. This is where Kathy Tarr and her organization, the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation, comes in. Kathy and her team works diligently to help families continue the search long after local authorities have stopped looking. Kathy and her work is prominently featured in the New York Times best-selling book, Trail of the Lost, by retired park ranger Andrea Lankford. We talk to Kathy now about how she got started. And now I'd like to welcome Kathy Tarr to the show. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm happy to be here. It's really great to have you on the show. This is a very interesting topic, and I'm sure it will be useful to all of the listeners. So could you start off maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to create the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation? Yes. So I love the outdoors, and I had trained mentally and also physically to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which goes from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada through California, Oregon, and Washington. It's over 2,000 miles, and I was ready for it in 2017. Unfortunately, what happened was I was in a car accident as a passenger, and I had fractured my sternum. So I was not able to hike the trail at that time. So I did. I traveled to Arizona to visit my son at the time. And since I was already on all of the PCT forums, I saw there was a missing hiker up in the state of Washington. He had hiked over 2,000 miles and he left what is called White Pass, Washington, and he disappeared. No one has seen him since and he's never been found. Well, so there is a group of people on the PCT hiker page asking for volunteers to come up to help search for Chris. Chris Fowler is from the state of Ohio. 
He was very popular on a trail. His trail name was Sherpa. Everybody loved him. And he just disappeared one day. And so I thought I would help them. So I did. I helped them. And then they went home. And then I decided, well, I can search some more, which I did. So if a tip came in and or anything or a coordinate, I would go out and check it and see, you know, if we could find Chris. While I was up there, I also saw another hiker hiking the PCT as well, David O'Sullivan from County Cork, Ireland, who actually went missing as well down in Southern California out of a small mountain town called Idawal. And it began to snow in Washington. So I went down to Southern California and started searching for David. And as you could tell, Chris Fowler and David O'Sullivan, that's where I had created the name for the foundation. Since we started the foundation in 2020, we have found, I believe, three or four people that we were able to get back to their families. We found their remains. Our latest one, actually, this year we found, I was really proud to find him because he was a two-combat veteran in the Iraq war, and he was having PTSD issues, and he told his family he was going to go camping, and he never returned, and nobody knew where he was going to camp. So it took quite some time before his vehicle was actually located in a place called Needles, California. So once we, as a group, once we knew that the vehicle was located, now we had a starting point. So we had gone out and used drones. We use drones in the way that we use them in a grid pattern. So the grids go like a lawnmower and they take several photos as it's doing that. Sometimes we'll come back with 7,000 photos. So we have a group of people we call image viewers, and we download these images and they start looking at them. So in the case of Brian Harris, we had seen something in an image, yet we weren't able to really say if it was human remains or not. It was sort of 50-50. We have a lot of conversations about what we see on these images. And I said, yeah, those are human remains. So we had someone go in and they confirmed that, yes, it was Brian Harris. It's a very, very sad situation, actually. And But his family was very grateful that at least now they had answers. And they also were able to give a ceremony and bury him and say goodbye formally. Whereas before, it's just so heartbreaking because they're like, is he alive? Is he dead? I mean, what am I supposed to think? And, you know, you think the worst all the time as the parent. So it's very difficult for the family, as well as the other families out there have still missing hikers. And so that's what we try to do. We try to bring these hikers home. And we also teach hiker safety as well to try to prevent these hikers from going missing in the first place. So we do a lot of that as well. Now, I looked at your website and I saw you mentioned the term ambiguous grief. Ambiguous loss. Yes. I took a course in University of Minnesota. And as soon as I finished taking that course, I'm like, we need something for these families. So I began to make phone calls and networking. And I found an amazing person in Canada, actually. Her name is Maureen. And she said she would start a peer support group for us. And train someone that we think would do well for this. But she has really stuck on with us for a couple of years now. So, and I'm so proud of the peer support group. This is a group 
that only either had missing hikers in their family that have been found, or they still have missing hikers that are missing. And they really come together and help each other. And that was my goal. And I have gotten amazing feedback from the group saying, thank you so much for starting this because we really need this. Because I could talk to them all day long and it wouldn't matter. They're talking to people that know exactly the feelings they went through, what they're still going through. And so that was very important to me to not only find their loved ones, but also to support the family even afterwards. Right. So I imagine the situation goes somewhat like this. Their loved one is missing. They're reported missing. The police get involved. The police may spend or perhaps the fish and game or other state agencies may get involved in search and rescue for several weeks or months. And then there comes a point where they come to the family and say, look, we've done everything we can. We could not find this person. Is that the point where you step in with your organization? Yes, that is where we come in. We don't interfere with search and rescue or any governmental person that's out there. So normally they will search until they feel that the person they're looking for is impossible to be alive because they are search and rescue. They're there to search and rescue people and find them alive and bring them home, which we always are hopeful that they do find the person. But once it's not uh, the person's not deemed to be alive, the sheriff will say, okay, we need to stop this search. And so they do have to stop at that point. And that's the point where the family doesn't know what to do. Where do they go? How do they get help? A lot of times they're not hikers. They don't know how to read maps. They don't know how to search. Particularly, you can walk down a trail, but once you go off trail, that's quite dangerous. And so the family themselves could be hurt as well. So I've had phone calls, you know, from families, you know, asking for advice and can we help them and things like that. So that's what we do. We go out and we say, this is what we're going to do. And this is what we need from you. We get all the information we can from them about the person. We'll even talk to people who's hiked with that person before to try to get some characteristics of the person. But it's just in our situation, we have time where search and rescue is very quickly trying to find this person alive. So when we have time, that gives us more time to research that person and get to know that person as well as we can, even though we've never met that person. And we can do that by talking to family, friends, siblings. And then we get that all together. We look at the mass. We look at the most common places where people can go missing or fall. And then we start deciding where we're going to search first. And then we also look at the jurisdiction. Can we fly a drone? If we can, great, because we have found people with this drone system that we do. And then also, if we can't, can we get a permit? And if we can get a permit, then we can fly. So we always look at that as well. This ambivalent loss must be. You have someone you love dearly who suddenly disappears. You don't know if they're alive or dead. You don't Mm -hmm. know, should I even start grieving? It's hard to grieve if you think maybe there's a chance the person might still be alive. So you're holding out hope, yet you're feeling feelings of loss. It must be so confusing and so painful to be caught in that conundrum. And then once they are found, let's say the remains are found, 
I imagine that would give some sense of closure, but then there are multiple questions I'm sure that come up. How did they die? What happened? Was it a slip and fall? Did they eat something poisonous trying to survive? Were they attacked by an animal? I'm sure the questions go on long beyond getting a solid answer. Yeah, that's right. It would be a situation I would never want to be in. I know in Andrea's book, she wrote Sally Fowler, Chris's mother, says it's a club you never want to be in. I can't imagine anything more tragic and trying to live without knowing what happened to the person, your son, your daughter, even we're looking for a mother. And it's very tragic. And you're right. Do we grieve? Do we not grieve? But I know hikers that have been missing for five years or more, where the family's still hoping that they're alive. Recently, I've been speaking with a mother, and there is actually reason to believe that this person may be alive. But we have not been able to confirm that. And she's just going through such agony. She's going back and forth. Oh, it's been so long since I heard from him. He must be dead. Or, oh, maybe he just, you know, needed some time. So it is very tragic for these families to be going through this. And even after, if we do find the remains, I don't believe there's anything such as closure. This is something that will affect their lives for the rest of their lives, you know. And you're right, a lot of what ifs and what did happen. And if you find someone at the bottom of a cliff, you got to figure the person fell. If you find them way off trail, you got to think, well, they probably got lost, especially if there's snow and there's no tracks. You can get lost that way if you aren't navigating yourself through there correctly. So those are the main common reasons why a hiker goes missing. And that would be a fall, an injury, or they got lost. So now it takes a special person to go out and help search for someone who's missing. Tell me, what was it that drew you to that type of work? Well, I'd say it's twofold. First of all, I love the outdoors and I am a hiker. And these are hikers that are missing. You know, there is a hiker family out there, a huge community of people who are hikers. And so I had that hiker part of me that said, wow, here's a fellow hiker that's missing. But then I'm also a mother. And I know what pain that would be. And I wanted to help the mothers. And so that's what started me searching. And once I did, and being outdoors, because I do love the outdoors, you know, it's like my home, being out in the forest. When off trail, you know, I navigate pretty well. And so when I'm off trail, I'm comfortable. I don't do dangerous things, but I do search. And I have found myself in situations where I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) But that's basically it. You know, being a hiker, being a mother, it kind of brought those two together to form the nonprofit. So did you have to undergo any special training to do searches? Well, I learned as I went, I want to say for some of that. Now, when I learned how to hike, per se, to navigate and read maps, I did that in New Hampshire in the Whites. I spent a summer up there. I spent three months up there hiking mountains. I did 46, 47 mountain peaks that summer. And then I also went back in the winter to learn how to self-arrest and things like that in snow. So I did all my hiking training in New Hampshire well before I even thought of searching for a hiker. So I had that background. And then also as far as learning, I did a lot of search and rescue books and the lost person behavior book and things like that. But also like Andrea has the book, Trails of the Lost. She was a former ranger in the Grand Canyon. 
And I had met her pretty early on in Southern California. So she had some bits of information to give me as well. It's a matter of if you go off trail, it's a matter of knowing how to find that trail once you're off trail to get back to that trail. So navigation is the big thing. And also when you're looking for a person, you're really not looking for that person or those remains. You're looking for something that might have fallen off of that person. Something that says somebody came through here or something in that way. We even have a expert on tracking. She does classes herself and teaches other people how to track. So we have somebody like that on our team. So if we can get in there early enough, she's been helpful. How do you even know where to begin looking for them? Are you following their cell phone signal? I don't believe we've ever had a case where we had a cell phone signal. Actually, we did with um, John Sturkey. He was missing in the Santa Santa Mountains as well in Southern California. Through Google, we had some pings, but none of them really said where he was at. There was definitely a point where the cell phone went dead. And at that point, there's not a lot. We had a ping, search and rescue had a ping for Chris Fowler in Washington, but it was near the trailhead. So most likely he turned it off as he began to hike. So cell phone pings have never come to play for us at this point. What we do is we try to figure out who this person is. Are they a long distance hiker? Are they just a day hiker? Were they going to camp? What information do we have on this person? And then we look at the map. So then if it's a through hiker, well, through hiker can literally hike 20 plus miles a day. If it's a day hiker who goes out maybe on the weekends, you know, how far does that person usually hike? Is it a favorite trail? Is it a trail they know? Or is it the first time they've been on this trail? And then you look at things like switchbacks. You look at steep areas, dangerous areas where there's slopes, especially in snow. If you slip and go down a slope, things like that. So we just look at the terrain and the person. And then we put that together. And then we decide, of course, looking at the last known place that they were, where do we start to search? So let's switch gears and talk about birders now, because birders do get into trouble when they are out looking for birds in the woods. Are there any tips you could offer birders on things to watch out for when they're out there? Let's say they're hiking into a particular area. What often happens is on birding websites, you'll see people putting a notice of sightings of a particular rare bird. And then people will try to hike through the woods to get to this spot and oftentimes going off trail and getting lost. Is there any advice you could offer for birders? You know, when I think of birders, I also think of mushroom hunters. Mushroom hunters have their heads down and they're moving around and then they get disorientated. And that's how I see the birders. Somebody looking up instead of down and they're moving around and you see a bird, but then off to the left, you see this other bird. So you're going that way and then, well, maybe further up. And next thing you know, you have zigzagged all through there. And now you have no idea how to get back to the trail or the road or your vehicle. And so then what do you do? So when we talk to hikers about preventiveness, One of the things we always say that has saved lives is a satellite communicator. So a satellite communicator is something that you can push a button, an SOS button. It goes out to the satellite 
and goes to a center. And then they look at where you're at. It'll tell them exactly where you're at. So then they take that jurisdiction. They reach out to the sheriff or the search and rescue team and say, we have an SOS button that went off a signal. And so they need help. And then they'll go out and they'll find it. They'll know exactly where to look. They're not searching. They're not going up and down the trail, calling out your name. And that will save you life. If you really are lost and you can't find your way, that will definitely save your life. And this thing, satellite communicator is, or will work all over the world. So no matter where you're at, if you're in South America, if you're in Canada or wherever you're at, it's going to work for you. So that's one thing. The prices vary on that. Some are expensive. We give away a dozen Garmin inReaches, and we do that to Pacific Crest Trail hikers every year. And we do that because it has two-way communication. So for instance, if they get an SOS call, that could be a heart attack, or it could be a broken leg, or it could be, I'm just lost. And so they don't know if you have a communicator that doesn't have two-way communication, they don't know what is happening. So they're going to come in. Otherwise, there are others. Spot is one. Zolio is another. So there's so many satellite communicators out there. I would just Google it and see if one may work for you. But that's one way of saving your life. Other things you can do, there's an app called Gaia, G-A-I-A. And if you take your coordinate before you go off trail or into the woods, and then you get back in there, it can guide you back out to that coordinate. So that's one thing that would help as well. One thing I definitely say is do not panic. If you're lost and you realize you're lost, my advice has always been to sit down, take a deep breath, have some water, maybe it's time for lunch, and just sit there and think about it. Just think, which way did I come? Where was I at? That can help you because if you start to stress out and panic, you're more likely to get further into trouble than if you just relax and think about where you have come from. One of the things that hikers do, they go off trail to pee. There's a well-known case in the hiker community of a woman who did just that on the Appalachian Trail on the East Coast. And she did that got disorientated, didn't know where the trail was at, and she kept trying to find it. And a year later, she was found in her tent, a mile off the trail, obviously dead. They found her remains just by going off the trail to pee. And it's so easy to do because the trail is kind of a little lower than the rest of the terrain. So some of the things that they do is one person said that she puts her backpack down and then she keeps turning around to make sure she can see her backpack. And that may work. But I have never felt that I should leave my backpack anywhere because that has my shelter and everything else I need in it or first aid. So another thing they do is they take flagging tape. And that might be something that might work for birders when you're going in. You can flag a tree and keep flagging yourself in. And then you just pull the flags off as you come back with the leave no trace. So if you put flags up, you got to pull them back up. And flagging tape is really good because it's super lightweight. And it's like orange. And so you can see them very well within the trees. So that's one thing you could do. One of the things that I found while I was researching bird watchers is that they try to camouflage their clothing 
to blend in with the trees, the dirt, the outside nature. And that's the opposite of what a hiker is given information about, wear bright clothes. So one of the things that someone who is bird watching is that they can take an orange vest, which is very lightweight. You can fold it up, just throw it into your pocket. And if you find yourself lost, immediately put that on because it's so much easier to find you if you're wearing a bright orange and they have the vest out there. Some of them are less than $5 that you can just throw in your pocket and have that on you. Another piece of advice is if you're lost and there's a creek or a river and you're waiting for people maybe to come by search and rescue to find you, that's not the place to be because it's going to drown out their voices. So you need to get away from that water so that if they are calling out your name, you'll be able to hear them. If you have to find yourself spending the night when you didn't expect to, Depending on the temperature, you're going to need shelter. So I've had tales of people who actually put their bodies into a hollow tree with leaves and sticks and everything to insulate them because it was very cold. It was snowing and very rough weather. But in between boulders or which way is the wind going? Get behind a tree where the wind won't hit you and things like that. And just whatever you have with you to try to keep warm. Because I know, for instance, a day hiker is somebody who is the least prepared to spend the night because they think they're just going to go in and come back out and they don't have shelters. And I can imagine that bird watchers probably don't have shelters with them. And so you just have to come up with your own ways to just try to stay warm. Hopefully it's not wintertime. Or even if it is wintertime, you can dig out a hole and get in that hole in the snow. That'll insulate you. So those are some hints and some advice to what to do if you get lost. And some things you can do to actually save yourself, like the satellite communicator. It's so important. It has saved so many hikers when they have become injured and lost and they don't know what to do. They spend all day trying to find their way back and they can't find their way back. And it gets dark and it's going to go into the 30s, the 20s, whatever. And it's not easy to hit that SOS button, but it has saved so many lives. And the other thing about the Garmin inReach that I really love is your family, if you want them to, can see you on a map from home. And so you give them your password, your user sign on to what's called MapShare, and they can see you on there. And you can also send them a message every night like, I'm okay or whatever you want it to say, everything's fine, or I'm heading out, or I'm heading home or something, when you don't have the Wi-Fi connection. And most of the time, you really don't have that out in the forest, or when you're going way out there to find that specific bird, you're not going to have a Wi-Fi service. So it's a way to keep your family calm, and it's a way to help you when you need it. If you need it, it's there for you. Now, as we wrap up here, could you talk a moment about Andrea Lankford? She's written a book. Could you just talk about her book for a moment? Yes, absolutely. Andrea Lankford wrote a book years ago called Ranger Confidential, and it did really well. It was rated one of the top 10 books to read by National Geographic, which was really exciting. 
And in late 2017, when I had gone down to search for David O'Sullivan in Southern California, she just happened to be searching for another missing hiker along the PCT called Chris Sylvia, which is not that far apart. She had been watching the PCT forums to get information about other hikers that may have gone missing along this trail as research. And as she had done that, she had seen my name with the Chris Fowler case. And then she saw I was in Southern California. So she had gotten my phone number somehow, called me, asked me to meet her, which we did. We had dinner and she introduced herself to me. She's a ranger from Grand Canyon and done plenty of search and rescues and had a lot of experience in her background with that as well. And so we met and she said, you know, she's really looking for inspiration to write another book. And she wanted to know if she could write it about me and my searches and what I do and things like that. So I'm like, okay, well, let me think about that. But in the meantime, the O'Sullivan's from Ireland had come in as well. Like we had all kind of gathered at the same place, not really knowing this. And so she met the O'Sullivan's, which is completely sad because they're so far away and their son is missing here. and We just can't find him. So she met them. And then next thing you know, we started talking like once a week and she'd ask me questions. How did you feel about that? How did you feel about this? And then she started fact checking and she took years. This started in 2017 and it was released this August in 2023. And we were hopeful and very excited to see that that first week it did hit the New York Times bestseller list. And we're getting extremely good feedback. Her writing is amazing. She did an amazing job on the book. Actually, so much so that everybody's out of the book. <laughs> so we're waiting for more books to come out to get published. But yeah, Amazon is backlogged as well as some bookstores and Barnes and Noble and all that. But yeah, I'm really proud of her. She did an amazing job and it was so important to her to make sure the facts were correct, that she had everything right. The book itself goes through more than just missing hikers. It also talks about scammers who try to scam families at their most vulnerable times. And also kidnappers on the trail. It just so much that went into this book that really opened the eyes to a lot of people not knowing what really is going on out there. She puts a lot into the book. She did a great job and you know, getting really great feedback on it. That's great. And it's called Trail of the Lost. Yes, it is. So just before we stop now, could you just tell anybody who is looking for a loved one that's lost in the woods <laughs> how they could contact your organization. Okay, so any family that has somebody who is a hiker missing can reach out to the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation. You can email us at info at org, or you can call at 877-467-3363 or you can visit our website at F-O-F-O-U-N-D.org. Kathy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You're a very special person to be willing to help these families and these lost hikers. Thank you, Catherine. I hope that some of the advice that I gave will help the bird watchers. I can totally understand how easy it would be to become disorientated or lost out there. And so I hope that something here has helped them.
I'd like to thank Kathy Tarr for joining us today. You can reach Kathy and the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation by calling 877-467-3363 or by going to their website at fofound.org. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.